This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast and God bless. Father, we are thankful for your word, and we are thankful for the opportunity to study your word, and we're thankful, Father, that you have given us the privilege of of living in a place where we can freely worship you. So, Lord, I pray for the next little while that you just open up the pages of the scripture, make your words clear and precise in our hearts, Father, to divide even as the Bible says, bone from marrow, Father, to divide the light from the darkness. And we pray, Father, through this study that your name would be glorified, Lord, and we pray that this would be more than just some sort of an academic exercise that we just kind of check off our to-do list on a Sunday morning, Father. I pray it would be time of transformation. Lord, it would be a time of change as we seek you, Father, and desire to know you better. I pray that we would leave here different than when we came not because of anything I've said or because of any song that may have been sung, Lord, but because of the power of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives and our hearts. And I pray we would leave here changed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Who is Jesus Christ? It's a question that people have asked for centuries. And the way you answer that question will determine not only the way you live your life here, but it will determine your eternity. Caiaphas, when questioning Jesus before the priest and the elders and the teachers of the law, asked Jesus if he was the Christ, the Son of God. Pilate, just before Jesus was crucified, asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus himself, when questioning Peter, said, Peter, who do men say that I am? Peter said, Lord, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah, and others say that you are just a prophet. To which Christ responded, Peter, who do you say that I am? To the church fathers of the third and fourth century, Jesus was, in their own word, from the substance of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. To the reformers of the 16th and 17th century, Christ was worth giving their very life for. And to the atheists of today, he's simply a figment of our imagination. From the earliest documents of the first century until today, the question remains, who is Jesus Christ. Now, if Jesus was simply a man, as so many have claimed, then our desire to know him more, our, our desire to seek and to serve him is meaningless. Wasted moments of time spent seeking a hoax. 
If he was just a man, then we are all fools indeed. But what if? What if Jesus Christ was more than just a man? What if he was, in fact, God? It, it boggles our mind to consider the possibilities. If God came to earth in the form of a human being, what would he look like? What would he say? Where would he go? What, what sorts of things would he do? If God truly came to the earth as a man, it would be the greatest story ever told. And so this time of year at Christmas, we focus on the birth of Christ. And we usually take a look at the passages of Scripture in Matthew or in Luke, both of which give us kind of the historical narrative, kind of the storyline picture of the birth of Jesus Christ. And both of those narratives begin at his birth. But today I want to study something a little bit different. I want to move beyond the historical narrative and I want to take a look at what John says about Jesus Christ because John is going to give us a different sort of perspective. John is going to give us a theological view of the birth of Christ. And John is not going to begin with his birth on earth. John is going to begin in eternity past. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Our focus this morning is going to be on the first 14 verses of the book of John, known to many people as the prologue. Now, if you were with us over the last many weeks, you may remember our study of the Old Testament. When we arrived at Isaiah 53, I said a lot, of, a lot of scholars believe that Isaiah 53 is kind of the pinnacle of the Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ. Just as Isaiah 53 was the pinnacle of the Old Testament, I would argue that John chapter 1 is the pinnacle of the Gospels of the New Testament. It's the Mount Everest, it's the height, because in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, are probably the clearest picture the clearest synopsis of exactly who Jesus Christ was. The story of John chapter 1 verses 1 through 14 contained not only redemption and forgiveness, but it contains a story of betrayal and rejection, light and darkness, life and death. The Word of God, Jesus Christ becomes flesh and makes His dwelling among us. It is the greatest story ever told. So let's examine together John chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, He was with God in the beginning. Now let's stop there just for a few minutes, and let's make sure we understand what we're delving into here. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, the prologue of John, may contain more theology than any 14 verses found anywhere else in the Bible. It's rich with truth, and it's rich with doctrine, and it's rich with all of who Jesus Christ is. So we don't have time in the next little while to delve into great depths in our study in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. We literally could probably preach a sermon on every single verse. But instead of preaching a sermon on every single verse, I want to try to delve into the main points and the highlights of this passage of Scripture. And there's some truths that I want to pull out that will help you answer the question of exactly who Jesus Christ is. So the first thing I want you to see and understand, number one, if we're going to ask ourselves who Jesus Christ is, based on the teachings of Scripture, the first thing we see is, number one, Jesus Christ was the eternal God. Jesus Christ was the eternal God. 
Now, if you're ever asked to put Scripture in chronological order, and you probably never will be, but if you ever desire to put Scripture in chronological order, you would begin with John chapter 1, verse 1. Now, we've studied in the past weeks Genesis chapter 1. Anytime we read John chapter 1 in the beginning, we're reminded of Genesis chapter 1. But in Genesis chapter 1, Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, begins at creation. John does something different. John moves beyond creation, before creation, into eternity past. So John says, in essence, as we study this passage of Scripture, that in the beginning was the Word. He's referring to eternity past. He's saying to us, in other words, that in the beginning, the Word has existed, and it has always existed. Now, I want to clarify something as we move forward a little bit. I've I've already given you my first point that Jesus is the eternal God, but you may be asking yourself the question. I don't see anywhere in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Jesus even mentioned. So how can you answer the question of who Jesus Christ was based on John 1, 1 and 2 when John 1 and 2 don't mention Christ anywhere? Well, let's skip down to verse 14. I want to make sure we tie this all together. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word, now there's a reference from verses 1 and 2, see that? John chapter 1, verse 14, in the same chapter. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when we read John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and we read John chapter 1, verse 14, we make the connection that the Word John is referring to becomes flesh and makes His dwelling among us. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. So if we wanted to substitute in John 1, 1 and 2, word for Jesus Christ, we could read it something like this. In the beginning was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was with God, and Jesus Christ was God. Now the eternity of Christ is found in other teachings of Scripture. It's not just here in John chapter 1. For example, we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 about Jesus. It says this, But about the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same today, same yesterday and today and forever. Revelation 1, 8, speaking again about Christ, says this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus Christ, based on the teachings of John 1, based on the teachings of the other portions of Scripture, is number one, eternal but we notice something else very interesting about Christ as we look at verse 1 again. Pull verses, verse 1 of John chapter 1 up again, if you would, for me, please. In the beginning was the Word. There's the eternity of who Christ was there. From eternity past, He was. In the beginning was the Word. Now, here's the interesting part. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. You say, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting phrase. Why would John say the Word was with God and the Word was God? Well, John's drawing a distinction for us here. John's doing something very interesting. John's given us just a a glimpse into the Trinity. Now, we would remember and argue based on the teachings of Scripture that the Bible teaches that there is God the Father, there is God the Son, and there is God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, one God, three distinct persons. You say, "I, I don't understand how we can have one God and three distinct persons. I don't understand it necessarily either, but it's the clear teachings of Scripture. And so when John speaks in John chapter 1, verse 1 of the Word, being with God and being God, we see a picture of the Trinity. So John says, okay, Jesus was with God. So we see that they're separate. Jesus and God are together. Jesus is with God. And then John says, Jesus was God. 
So we see not only was he with God, but he was God. It's just a picture here in Genesis, uh, John chapter 1, of the Trinity of the Father and the Son and, of course, the Holy Spirit. But here, here's the interesting thing as, as we begin to study through this. We ask ourselves the question, okay, if, if John is speaking of Christ in verse 1, and we say in the beginning was Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was with God, and Jesus Christ was God, why doesn't he just say Jesus Christ? Why does John use the word, word? Why doesn't he say in the beginning was Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was with God, and Jesus Christ was God? It's confusing to me, Adam. Why would, he, why would he use this phrase instead of just speaking clearly about Christ? Well, here's what we do oftentimes when we read the Bible. We take our 21st century knowledge, and we take the 21st century culture, and we don't want to superimpose it upon Scripture. We can't do it that way. What we should do instead is we should back up 2,000 years to when John wrote this and understand exactly what John is doing, exactly who John is writing to. So if we were to back up to the first century when John is writing his gospel, we would realize that John is speaking to two distinct groups. He's speaking to the Jews and he's speaking to the Greeks. Now the Jews and the Greeks had both rejected Christ for different reasons. The Jews had rejected Christ because he wasn't the military political leader that they expected the Greeks had, had rejected Christ because they didn't understand their need for a Savior. They didn't understand the sinfulness of their life. But the interesting thing about the Greeks and the Jews is they had something in common. See, when John wrote in the original language, the word he uses for word is logos. So in the Greek, you would read, in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. You're like, I, you know, whoop. so? What does that have to do with anything? Well, here's the important part. The Greeks and the Jews both understood the word logos. They had different ideas of what it meant, but they understood the importance of it. They understood that it was kind of this, this prevailing sense and this prevailing uh, consciousness in the universe. So for the Greek to think about the Logos, they understood it as some sort of a rule or set of knowledge that governed the universe. One scholar said it like this, for the Greek, Logos was an all-pervading principle. It's kind of the essence of the universe. Now for the Jew, they had a different understanding of the Logos or the Word of God. When you look back in the Old Testament, the Jewish person would have understood the Word of God as the power of God to do whatever he commanded. So we read accounts in Genesis 1 and God created the earth. You remember how he did it? The Bible doesn't say he waved a magic wand or he clapped his hands or he mixed together some special powders. The Bible says in John, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, God said, let there be light. See, that is the word of God, the spoken word of God. Genesis 1, 6, and God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate the water from the water. If you were to read through Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter three, Genesis chapter 2, you would see over and over, and God said, and God said, and God said to the Jewish person, studying the Old Testament and studying God, the Logos was the very breath of God. It was the, it was the creative order. It was the power of God to do the things that he had commanded. So when John uses logos in John chapter 1, he's bridging the gap between the Jew and the Gentile so they both understand that this logos is not only eternal, but it's also God. You say, well, that, that's interesting. That's an interesting study, Adam, but what, what does that have to do with me now? Written 2,000 years ago, the logos and the Jew and the Greek, I get all that, but what does that have to do with me now? Here's what we need to understand. If God and Christ was the eternal God in the first century for the Jew and the Greek, then Christ is still the eternal God today, right? And if Christ is still the eternal God today, then he can and should be allowed to speak into our lives now. You understand that? 
It's, it's amazing to me where we'll go for answers when we have problems in life. We've got a situation that arises we can't figure out, and so what do we do? Well, let's go to the internet. Let's Google it. <laughs> if we can't find the answer on the internet, let's go to the bookstore. We'll buy a self-help book. If we can't find the answer in a self-help book, we're going to go to our job and we're going to speak to a coworker and see what our coworker thinks. Now, there's certainly value in all those things. And we can use all those things to help us. But it's interesting to me how sometimes when we see that Christ is the eternal God, we'll turn to all these other things for answers first before we go to Him. So we'll seek answers in all these other places and we can't figure them out. Then we'll say, well, you know, I guess I better pray about it. I guess I better consult the scripture to find out what I need to do. I guess maybe I should have talked to Christ about this before I went and read a self-help book about it. See, we need to understand, it's very interesting how we'll take the theology of the word and we'll understand it and we'll believe it, but we'll never apply it, right? If Christ is the eternal God, then he can and should be allowed to speak into our lives now. And we shouldn't just leave church and say, well, that was a nice sermon, but I'm going to call my buddy down the road and see what he thinks about my marriage. <laughs> or I'm going to wait till tomorrow morning and talk to my boss. And again, those people may provide help in our lives, but the truth, the truth that we need to seek so desperately is found in the Word of God because He's eternal. And He should be allowed to speak into our lives today. But look at verse 3 as we continue to move through this process of these study. Verse 3 says this as we read it in John chapter 1. Through Him, speaking still of Christ, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. It's the creative order of the universe there. In verse 4, now in him, this is Christ, was, now there's going to be a theme you're going to see for the next few verses of life and light. I want you to listen how many times John uses it. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There was a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Over and over we see this truth in these verses of life and light. So we've seen in this progression in John chapter 1, number 1, Christ, if we're going to ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus Christ? Number 1, we see that he's the eternal God. Number 2, we see that he is light and life. Jesus Christ is light and life. Now John uses this theme of life and death and light and darkness all through his gospel. So if you were to read the gospel of John, you would encounter this, this, this theme over and over again. So for example, in John chapter 6, verse 47, we read this, I tell you the truth, he who believes in me has everlasting life. That's Jesus Christ speaking. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, John 12, 46, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me, excuse me, so that no one who believes in me should stay in the darkness. John 8, 8 12 says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of the of life. We see these two themes of light and darkness tied together in the person of Jesus Christ. I had the opportunity a couple years ago to go to Romania with our Romanian mission team. And when we left Atlanta, it was about five or six o'clock in the evening. And you would think when you fly to Europe, you would just get right out over the Atlantic and fly directly to Europe. But if you look at a globe, it's actually closer to fly kind of north, northeast, kind of over the globe to Europe than straight across. And so we kind of hugged the eastern seaboard for a long time, all the way up 
past Maine and on into Canada. And about 9, 9.30 that night, we, we kind of started running out of land. And by 9.30 that night, it was getting pretty dark. And I'll never forget sitting in the, sitting in the, in the airplane, looking out the window, and you could see way into the horizon, hundreds and hundreds of miles away, the faint glow of the western sun setting over the horizon, reds and oranges and yellow. And I'll never forget the very distinct picture of that black wing just jutting out into that light, just the darkness of that wing. And as I looked down onto the ground, I could see just a little bit of land and just a few little specks of light. But beyond that land and beyond those specks of light into the ocean was just darkness. And if you've never flown over the ocean at night, it's a, it's a scary thing. <laughs> it can be very eerie because you know there's nothing there. It's total darkness. And for hour after hour after hour through the night, we flew over the darkness. Here's the interesting thing about darkness in our lives. Physical darkness can be scary to us, can it? There's just something about physical darkness. You have children or grandchildren, or maybe you remember when you were a kid, the idea of being in a room that's dark can be terrifying. It's always fascinating to me with my children. We can be in a room in our house, and they can be scared to death when all the lights are off. And all I have to do to comfort them is do what? Turn the light on. Same room, same time, same surroundings, but the darkness changes everything. Here, here's what we understand as human beings. We understand physical darkness, don't we? But here's the problem oftentimes. We miss spiritual darkness. See that? We understand the perils and the fears of physical darkness, but we oftentimes don't grasp the perils and the fears of spiritual darkness. Christ says, I'm the light and I'm the life. And I want to shine into the darkness of your life. But here's what we do sometimes as believers. We'll compartmentalize our lives, won't we? And we'll let Christ's light shine into this area. And we'll let the light of Christ shine into this area. And we'll let the light shine of Christ shine into this area. And then we'll take this one little area and we'll just hide it from the rest of the world. You're not going to see what's in this area. I'm never going to show you what's in this area. I'm not even sure Jesus can see what's in this area. And I'm going to hide this, and I'm going to keep this in the darkness. And I'm going to protect it so that nobody else can see it. I think sometimes we need to understand very clearly that the light of Christ needs to be allowed to shine into all areas of our lives. You say, what sort of areas do we need the light of Christ to shine into? Men, let's start with our thoughts. Let's just be honest with each other. Let's just start there. I think sometimes we need the light of Christ to shine into the darkness of our thoughts. Because we think, well, nobody's ever going to know about this. Nobody but Christ. I think sometimes we, we need to let the light of Christ shine into the attitudes of our hearts. It's amazing how we can have terrible attitudes outside of church. Isn't it funny how we'll come to church and we'll be sincere about growing in Christ? And we'll be sincere about singing praises and about worshiping Him and going to Sunday school and reading the Bible. And we're sincere and we mean it. We're not being hypocritical at that moment. We mean that we want to come and learn and grow. And then we'll step away from church and from other believers and we'll act ways that don't honor God in any way. Through our actions and through our attitudes and how we treat other people. I think sometimes we need to allow the light of Christ to shine into those areas of our lives. How about the way we spend our time and money? How about the, the, the desires that we have in our lives? How about, how about all the things that we're keeping from the rest of the world? We're keeping from our family. We're keeping from those closest to us. And we're keeping in spiritual darkness. I think the, the Bible will be clear to tell us that Christ needs to speak into those areas of our lives. We need to open those areas of life up to the light of Christ. But here's the really interesting thing about light. 
Always, 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 light defeats darkness. Always. If you come to our Christmas Eve service tomorrow night in here, and they'll do it in there in the fellowship hall as well. At one point in the service, we'll literally turn all the lights off except for a single candle. It's just, it, to me, it's such a profound picture of Christ in the darkness. Right? Surrounded by a world of darkness, that one light will penetrate into that darkness. And we'll take that one candle and we'll light it. We'll hand it to somebody else and we'll light it. Before too much, too much time takes place, we've got this entire sanctuary just, just filled with light. All from the single candle. All from that one candle that burns. And I think it's such a, it's such a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ speaking into the darkness. And we ask ourselves the question, are there areas of our life that need light? Are there areas of our life that we're hiding in the darkness? Jesus came to be the life and to be the light. And that doesn't stop at salvation. It's a continual process as we grow closer and closer and closer to him. So let's look at verse 10 as we move forward. He was, speaking of Jesus Christ, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. What an incredible picture of rejection there. Imagine going to your own and your own will not receive you. Now verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So who is Jesus Christ? Number one, he's the eternal God. Number two, he's light and life and still speaks truth into our life now. And then number three, based on what we just read, Jesus Christ is salvation to all who would believe. He's the eternal God. He's light and life. And number three, he's salvation to all who would believe. Now, I want to take just a second to make sure we're clear on this because I think sometimes there's some confusion about salvation. I think sometimes people get this notion that if they just show up at church once or a couple times or maybe on a regular basis, if they'll just go to church, then they'll be saved. That's not the case. That's not what the Bible teaches. I think people think if they can just be nice and do enough good stuff, if they have enough good deeds in their life, then they'll be saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. I think people believe if they just give a little bit of money to the church, if they just sacrifice a little bit for the church, then they'll be saved. That's not what the Scripture teaches. I want to be very clear, the Bible teaches that the only way to salvation, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. The Bible clearly teaches that we're sinful. We've seen that in Romans. The Bible clearly teaches us that because of our sinfulness, we will eventually die. There's death in our sinfulness. And then Romans 10, 9 kind of gives us the picture of what salvation ought to look like. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I don't want you to leave here with any confusion this morning. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never prayed for the repentance of your sin, if you've never done what the Scripture teaches and called him your Lord and Savior, then you're not saved. If you haven't done that, you're not going to spend eternity with Christ in heaven. See, here, here, here's maybe the most incredible part of this portion of scripture the only reason that salvation is available the only reason that we have this opportunity is because of what christ did in verse 14 the bible tells us that the word became flesh 
and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because Jesus Christ came to the earth, because Jesus Christ was born, because Jesus lived a sinless life and willingly died on the cross for our sins, because of all those things, we have the opportunity of salvation and we have the opportunity of eternity in heaven with Christ. If Christ had never come to earth, salvation would not be possible. You know, I think about the process of Christ being born on this earth and I think about the fact that he was the king of glory and the giver of life and the creator of the universe. I think about him coming to earth and, and living among us and dwelling among us and suffering and choosing to live a lifestyle that we live and choosing to suffer through the things that we suffer through and choosing to walk willingly to the cross and choosing to give his life for us. And I think to myself, that, that doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> Given the option, why would he do that? There's only one reason he did that, because he understood that without that sacrifice, there would be no salvation. So your hope and my hope began all those centuries ago when that little bitty baby, that tiny, helpless little baby was born to that young mother in that sleepy little town that most people had never heard of. It's unthinkable as we consider it. So as we think about the Christmas season over the next few days and the few days that follow, we're, we're going to enjoy this time of year because we're going to be with our family and we're going to be with our friends and we're going to have time off work and we're going to be able to do some of the things that maybe we've wanted to do for a while, but I want to remind you in our hearts in this time of season, I want to remember all that Christ did for us. I want to remember the incredible, wonderful, unthinkable gift that was given to us all those centuries ago. And as we leave here this morning with this question in mind, who is Jesus Christ? I want you to see very clearly, he's the Savior of the world. And no matter where you are in your life, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing now, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he offers you hope. So my prayer for you this season is that you would see the peace of God reigning in your hearts, that you would experience the true joy of Christmas, and that you would take comfort and hope where it can only be found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you, Lord, for the clarity of John chapter 1, for the richness of that chapter, Lord, the beginning of that chapter and all the things it teaches us, Lord, but I pray we would see very clearly as we consider the question if we consider the question of who Jesus is, Lord, I pray we would see that he is the eternal God and he should still speak into our lives today, Father. We should see that he's light and he's life and he, he provides hope in the darkness and among the, the things of this earth, Father, that are sinful. And I pray we would understand that there's only salvation in him, Lord, if we would confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us, Father. So I pray for your name to be glorified. I pray that you would speak to us in mighty and powerful ways. And I pray we'd leave this place changed, Father, transformed in the image of your Son. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you a few minutes if you want to come and pray. If you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or you want to join this church, this is your time right now as we sing together. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.